We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, I, I think that summer league games provide a little bit of insight into what a new coach in particular would like to do. And I was, I've been really excited about recording this one, been looking forward to recording it, um, because even though the teams are together only really for two, three weeks, you get to see the shell or outline of your offense and defense. And uh, I saw some things on both ends of the floor that stood out to me that I think are going to be applicable to the big club once we get into that portion of the season. And now, if you've listened to the show uh, for a while and listened to it last season, you'd know one of my really big things that I was adamant about was that we were kind of in the wrong sets, in the wrong system, in the wrong, uh, like the personnel and the scheme did not match. And one of the things I'm excited about that if the summer league is an indication of kind of the general format of what Darvin Ham wants to do, we are playing really the exact style of basketball that I was really pining for last season. And that starts with the four out system that Darvin Ham has mentioned a few times when he's been interviewed or at his opening press conference. And just as a starting point, there are really just two basic frameworks in terms of spacing at this point in the NBA. You've got your four out and your five out. And really what the difference is, is that on a very you know top line level, we'll get into more of the details really as the season goes on. But on a top line level, the four out system is more conducive to dribble penetrators, guys you can give the ball to that are really devastating in open space. So LeBron, Giannis, right? A lot of the concepts we see on both sides of the ball, if you're familiar with how Milwaukee played, it gives you some insight into how I think the Lakers are going to play. And so that four out spacing, Darvin Ham, uh, Ham's been talking about uh, flattening out the defense and the importance of that. And that's more the one in guy. And we'll get into that because that one in guy will often be Anthony Davis over the course of this season. But from a spacing perspective, I'm excited and I'll get into more of the details in a bit. But I'm curious, what did you see from this year's summer league team? So I must admit how much I saw and I'm using quotation marks here of <laughs> the summer league team. 
I was not often watching complete full games and being scheme dedicated like sure. my guy Pete here, right? And Mike too, who was actually in the building for a lot of those games. What I will say though is conceptually and the ideas that the team was being schemed was showing scheme discipline and was consistently going to the spots on the floor in which you would expect them to be. That's already just a very important part of executing things. And one of the things that I think was frustrating about last season's team is that they talked about certain ideas a lot. And the execution of those ideas was hit or miss on any given game. And I felt like... The injuries didn't help with that, Mike, and, and there was a lot of like lack of consistency within the lineups and like, oh, look, it's the 42nd starting lineup this year. And oh, look, five guys who have maybe played seven minutes together all season are now on the court together. And that stuff is not conducive to playing in a style that reflects like preparedness in Relating that back to what we saw during the summer is I saw a bunch of guys who were just like, hey, man, like, yeah, go space to the corner, even if you're a big guy in this specific set, because that's where within the context of the offense, that's where you need to be standing. A lot of the techniques of saying like, okay, well, this is the action that that we're going to run. And I saw a lot of stuff where the big was where they were in a four out one in system, but the big was opposite um, dunker spot. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were and the opposite. That's a big part of this. When as we get into more of the details, like where the big stands and why really creates a lot of the space. To me, I felt like that was super important for what the Lakers were trying to do from a dribble penetration standpoint, right? Because Scottie Pippen Jr. and McCoy and even Mason Jones, right? And to a certain extent, even Max Christie, when they had the ball and they were looking to get downhill, it was oftentimes with that open post on the ball side first, because if they could get downhill with there only being two guys on that one side of the floor, right? So one guy spaced to the corner and then the guy at the top with the ball. To me, that was one of the first things that I saw. And then if they decided to run pick and roll, that big would then sprint from opposite corner. And then you could then figure out what's my screening angle. Am I going to then go middle off of that? Or is he going to flip the screen? And then I'm going to drive baseline to set up a lot of like the lob action that you saw with the big now i know i was like all over the place there mike with my answer so talk to me about what you were seeing especially from the offensive standpoint because i think the vantage point was probably different from your perspective a lot of it's about the transition push first and it's guys sprinting up the floor two guys getting to the corners uh one guy covering a rim run early to basically make sure that the defense flattens out um so that they have to get back to and if they don't you're either getting a corner three or a dunk Uh, or something. And I think that's especially important when you have a player like Giannis in Milwaukee or a player like LeBron uh, in, in LA, where if you don't do those things and the defense isn't according or thinking according to that, then it's going to be problems. And then, so it's then at that point, Darwin is going to use terms like string man and trail and a slasher, like a weak side corner guy. uh, Right. And 
the elbows covered, if the nails covered it. So I'll, I'll let Pete get in on that. But it did seem to me that like once you offensively Darvin's thinking about more about LeBron and AD when he's constructing what some of the things are going to look like in the half court. But the four one mm-hmm. deal is more just like a an operating base system. And then out of that, right, Pete, things are going to flow differently. And, and so actually, I, I won't even bother getting into the summer league stuff as much because I know you're chopping at the bit to, to put that into context. Uh, well, I think that bringing up Giannis in particular, it, this is probably the clearest way of communicating. What is the point of all of this? Like, what is the coach trying to accomplish with going to four out? And like Vogel was plenty four out last year uh, as well. The difference between the two we'll get into a little bit, but a lot of it has to do with the big and where the big is. And I'd say even more so where the big is not. But when you watch Milwaukee last year, you're not going to watching a team being like, oh, wow, look at that incredible scheme. And and even once you get to the playoffs, especially there was a lot of like, give the ball to Giannis and everyone kind of stands in one spot. And there's value to that. And there is also a, a downside to that. But one thing that we often talk about on the show, Mike, is that as you get into playoff basketball, it's way less scheme and more about the players. And so this system and this gets me to, to my point is this type of system is more about creating and maintaining an environment where your best players are in either one on one situations or you're force, forcing a help defender to come from so far away that somebody else is going to be open as a result of that. And so. Remember the old illegal defense rules, D, where uh, you either had to double team someone fully or you had to be within arm's distance of your man with a four out system in particular. And you've got the two guys in the slots, which are about six to eight feet off of like the middle of the floor on each side. And then two guys in the deep corners and then that big guy in the dunker spot along the baseline. And again, this is the big difference between. Uh, what I've seen so far and then last season's team is that whole middle of the floor is wide open. And so, and then you've got double gaps between the slot position and the corner. So there's that big old space. If you want to drive to the rim uh, toward the wing, right. But even in the middle, there are spaces where that guy, that big man can come up and set a pick and roll. And then you've got the wings as kind of like the release valve points because nobody's stationed on the wings, uh, but you can slide down and fill those spots again to just create and maintain space for your best players. So for a lot of this D it's a matter to me of you create space for the guys who can create shots for themselves. And then you trigger the sequence from there. And so that was something that I was especially encouraged by over, uh, over watching this because this is that like 41 style type of play that I was rambling about last season be- that really creates and maintains space for your very best players. Yeah, let's go to break here because I want to then get into the shooting forward and how much that does or does not matter within the context of this sort of an alignment. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Pete, I saw, I think it was Kevin Pelton who tweeted this. He's like, Summer League is over. Who are the leaders in, like, whatever metric that he was using for Summer League? And I think Keegan Murray was number one. And then you know who number two was? Our guy Swider. It was our guy Cole Swider. And Swider, (laughs) I had tweeted this because I was on vacation right when Summer League started. And I saw the first game only through highlight clips. And I said on Twitter, haven't watched the game, watch some clips. Cole Swider looks like a Kirkland Duncan Robinson. And I mean that in the best way possible. (laughs) Because he looked big, which is Kirkland brand, man. Like, oh, you order Kirkland, you don't get six rolls of toilet paper. Like, you get like 35. So he looked big, but he was getting his shot off, man. And he was just firing away and firing away. And to me, Swider's presence as like that shooting guy who is also like a big forward because he was a he was basically playing power forward for them. Having a shooter in that spot is super important, right? It's almost what facilitates the idea that like any of these other dudes can be the in when it comes to the four out and one in guy. Darius, or can you have your center? Like, do you have to have either one though? So if you're four, like like basically the Giannis Brooke Lopez model? Mm-hmm. Yes, and preferably both. Preferably both. Like, look, Brooke Lopez, there were plenty of times where it was Lopez who was just like, hey man, like, remember me from my New Jersey Nets days? And I was an all-star and I was posting up and punishing dudes. Like, I got drafted 10th overall in an NBA draft because I was your prototypical big guy. There are plenty of times where... Lopez would punish in in the post too. And it was Giannis who was the guy who was standing above the break and spacing in the way that the offense required um, one, one of the players to space. So, so preferably both. But when you have a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis, and this is why Swider was like super interesting to me, is because when you have a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis, you're already sort of hamstringing yourself to a certain extent uh, with what type of personnel you want in those other three spots. And it was one of the reasons why, like, the idea of Russell Westbrook was super intriguing in in its own way. It's like you're tripling down on this strength, but then what do you do about spacing? Mm -hmm. Enough about that, though, because I want to talk about the forwards instead. So I'm just going to put this to, to both of you guys. Swider's shooting was super impressive. They're going to need, I think, some shooting from those forward spots. And one of the ideas that has come up during the offseason is like, hey, what are we going to do about shooting on this roster? So Thomas Bryant, to me, seems like a super important character within this play that's being written 
about the Los Angeles Lakers season. So talk to me both about like that four out and the importance of that player and Bryant and what Swider could be instructive towards from his summer league run. So within a a four out system, you've got of the four, the two players up top, and those are called the slot positions, are generally your ball handlers. The two players in your corners are your shooters. So let's think of it from a Milwaukee standpoint. Usually that's going to be Giannis and Drew Holiday up top, and then Pat Connaughton in a quarter, maybe Grayson Allen in another. But those players are generally less of your ball handlers, more of your spot-up shooters. And again, Mike, the purpose of doing this is you want to force the defense to make a choice. Be like, oh, you've got this LeBron and AD pick and roll. Well, if you switch it, there's going to be space, gaps on each side for whoever has the ball to drive to the basket that don't exist to the same degree in five-out spacing. There's also not going to be a big man standing at the elbow along with his defender that brings two more bodies into the paint. If the big man is in the paint, they're in that low dunker spot. And all, every part of it is maximizing that space and being like, all right, if I go over and tag on Anthony Davis, which I'm probably going to have to do because great players force more than one player to guard them, then you have to cover so much distance to cover that skip pass. And that's where a player, that shooting forward that D is talking about, really stands out to me. That's the Swider, Connaughton, Grayson Allen. Those types of players are especially important. And if that's JTA in that spot, then teams are going to make very easy decisions. Yes, I'm going to tag on Anthony Davis every single time rather than cover JTA in the corner. But if that's a shooter, then that's where I think the personnel and to Darius's point, like this is great. Create, create great spacing through your scheme with your four out, create this environment. Well, if you're making a very easy choice for the defense to be like, either sag off of this like not great shooter or leave Anthony Davis one-on-one like it's a super easy choice right so I think it's a a a point well made by Darius that like you got to have the guys too for sure and and that's part of where of the Lakers new acquisitions right you could see defenses having to respect Lonnie Walker uh in the corner and you could see them having to respect Troy Brown Jr even if if not necessarily by name, but I think that by reputation, as he as you watch a little more film on him and see that, and especially if he's sit, if he is in that corner playing off of LeBron and AD, right? And teams are going to be like, all right, well, let's let's leave him, right? Because they probably will to start, and then he starts to knock some of those down. Then that changes the equation. Now the flip mm-hmm. side to get back to Darius's point though is a guy like Swider is already going to have just almost by reputation, if you go and see him in the gym, like in a pickup game and be like, Oh, there's the shooter, you know? Yeah. But, yep. There he is like tall. <laughs> and, and so I think that's the, I don't know if I see him on the floor with that group early in the season, but that is the kind of threat that certainly helps on offense. And then of course we got to talk about defense, right. And what's the difference between those two on defense, but Darius, what, uh, yeah, jump in there. So a lot of times we talk about four out systems and a big, if it's not, whether it's the power forward or the center, we often think about him spacing to the corner. And if you think about the Bucks, Lopez did space to the corner a ton. But he also did space a lot above the break. Now, I don't have his shot chart up, but I would imagine he took a bunch of above the break threes as well. Now, some of that is out of pick and pop situations and You know, if the big is going to set a lot of screens, like he's up on the floor anyway, and then finding his way to the corner is trickier. 
We just saw Jay Huff take a bunch of these Brook Lopez threes from above the break, and it has an impact on your defense, too, because even if you miss the shot, your first player back is going to be th- that seven-footer, right? Like, and, and so, Let yeah. me pause both of you on Jay Huff, because the Lakers summer league team certainly looked better when he was on the floor. Now, Man. he's a better player than whoever else they were using uh, mm-hmm. in that spot, so no matter what style of basketball you're playing, that's going to make an impact. I'm thinking of the big not always having the space to the corner then. And so one of the things I wanted to put back to both of you, and and I think, Pete, like this plays into Mike's point about Huff, is how important is it that if you have that shooting big, whether it's a player like Swider, who we started this conversation with, or a player like Thomas Bryant, or a guy like Huff, who is technically your five, right? How valuable is it, but even more so, how important is it that that player is a viable spacer to above the break rather than just spacing to the corner because the geometry of four out changes based off of where who is in which one of those positions that you outlined earlier right For sure. and if it's mm-hmm. guards and ball handlers who are more adept at showing help at the nail and then recovering back out that's one thing but if you're asking a big to navigate that spot because suddenly their their guy the guy who's guarding Jay Huff, the guy who's guarding Thomas Bryant, the guy who's guarding Brooke Lopez is the guy who's asked to show help at the nail or deter a driving lane and, and be one of the guys who's covering up one of those driving gaps, right? Then that's a different sort of ask. And so I'm putting that back to you, Pete. Like, oh, it's one thing to space to the corner. Every NBA team spaces their big to the corner, even if he can't shoot. Dwight Howard was out there. A bunch of times last season but what happens when you when that guy can actually hit the above the break three and how important do you think that is to what ham is going to be trying to do this season offensively and do they have the personnel to help facilitate that let's take a quick break and come back and, and answer that So one of the weaknesses, D, of spacing that big to the corner is your transition defense. At the end of the play, that player has the farthest distance to cover, and that player is probably your rim protector, and good chance he's also your slowest player. So you've given your slowest player and probably your most important player in terms of protecting the rim the farthest distance that he has to traverse to protect the rim. He's also not typically going to be standing right next to his own guy who sunk then to the middle of the court. Right. In order to rebound. And now it's just going to bust his ass right up the middle of the floor. Straight up the middle. Yep. While you're like, oh, wait, not only I have to catch up from behind and like 20 feet into the middle of the court in order to find him. Right. And so that corner guy, you can't catch him. That guy has too much of a head start, even if that opposing five is particularly slow. It's very difficult to catch up there. And so that means one of your teammates has to step in front and just buy you a little bit of time. Well, that teammate's attention going off onto the rim running big means that their wing there's going to be a wing three-point shooter open or a corner three-point shooter open. And so these concepts, the way you transition from offense to defense and vice versa, and this is what Mike brought up earlier when he brought up Darvin Ham's comments, was the transition component of going from one end of the floor to the other. And so to answer your question about that ability to hit that pick and pop jumper from a big man spot and like a Thomas Bryant, why he's really important is that's part of the reason why is I I misspoke earlier. He's not going to be the first person back. You're usually not the first person back when you shoot the ball, Mike, but he is 
position. He's got the head start. He's not in the corner. He's not right underneath underneath the basket. And so I think to Darvin, Mike, the ability to protect the rim and and be a presence in transition defense, he's already talked a ton about his transition defense, right? Which is a very minute thing, but he's really emphasized that. I think all these things tie together. Yeah, Darvin talks about transition defense even when I didn't bring up transition defense. And that's where you know that <laughs> exactly. it's an important talking point. So the, I think I'm pulling up the article right now, but the context was I had asked him about he he was talking about Russ and what he needed from him defensively and I said something that we've discussed before well it's tough in the NBA for a lot of guys whether it's mentally or physically to carry a certain load on offense and then have a certain amount to give on defense um, as we've seen a lot of some of the bigger wings do over the years but a lot of the point guard types uh, either don't think about it or focus on it or just don't do it and that's a, a Lillard a Harden a Westbrook Right. Some of these guys are the uh, Donovan Mitchell that are like, hey, I'm doing a lot for you guys offensively. You know, everybody else make up for what I do defensively. Is this part of the reason, Mike, why those types of players aren't necessarily at the top of your food chain? It very much is very good because when basketball comes down to it and those type possessions in a playoff series. Right. Um, you got to have the guys that impact both ways. And so I in asking them, I said, is is part of this pitch that you don't to Russ is that you don't need him to do the same level of offensive creation since you have LeBron. So there should be more left on defense. And he flipped it and said, look, I, I think it's more about team concepts. And the first thing he said was he watched some film from last year. And then here's a quote, guys in defensive transition are just running to their own guy, backpedaling instead of sprinting back, you know, getting into a stance and presenting a United front defensively. That's um, like, that's what has to have. That's what has to happen. Covering areas as opposed to covering bodies. And he said, we have a way of looking at transition D and he goes through his whole, he's got a whole phrase, phraseology about it, but cover the basket first, stop the ball, show a crowd initial defender. And he's not alone in preaching this. Like Frank, Frank Vogel certainly preached transition defense, but there is Darwin is confident that he can make an impact more on these specific set of players. And maybe he's talking a little bit about Russ without saying Russ and saying it's more about the team, but that would certainly apply to, that big if that spaced out big man shooter is in the corner too he's not going to just say oh you're good don't worry about it it's like yeah then guess what guys you have to slow that man you have because this we need the spacing on offense so it is your job and if you don't do it you're getting shown in the film room the next day that you didn't do it and it's it's a problem (laughs) it's funny mike because when you said this specific set of players i'm I'm thinking about the fact that this specific set of players is different from last year's specific yeah. set of players. And that is going to make a big difference. Yes. Like, it just is. I feel a great sense of relief from that. Honestly, like all of this, the play style stuff, the personnel, all of it, like it seems like we're more at least rowing in the same direction. Y- yes. Look, we talked a lot about last year um, and uh, I think it could often come come off as like us not liking like being overly critical at times about like maybe Frank Vogel or the scheme or the coach or whatever. But in the big picture, what all of our comments were reflective of was really the dissonance between like the roster that was put in place and the most effective way to play or what we envisioned to be the Royal we, right? what we envisioned as as the most effective way to play with that specific group of of players and i again i'm saying the same term that mike used specific set of players because 
this new set set of players, I do think, look, like having we haven't mentioned Damian Jones once, right? Damian Jones is going to be that one in guy almost every mm-hmm. single time that he's in the game. But that ability, Mike and Pete, to camp, camp at opposite dunker spot and then sprint up to the top of the floor, set a viable screen and then turn and roll with pace down the down the middle of the court in order to present a lob option. And then if the play breaks down and the ball handler like has to back it back out and he calls him back up again, the ability to then turn and repeat. That yes. entire process and second do, efforts, third efforts, and do yes. that two or three times within the context of of a single possession. The Lakers did not have a big who could do that last season because a Anthony Davis was hurt for most of the year, and their other bigs just weren't physically capable of doing mm-hmm. that effectively. Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan just aren't physically there anymore, and so now in Jones and even Thomas Bryant. Thomas Bryant can do that same exact thing. And that that component of like every single player who is asked to do the thing that that he will be asked to do within the Lakers schemes, I feel like he's going to be more adept at being able to do it. And that in and of itself should translate to more success and more scheme continuity that allows you to get into your second, third, and fourth actions within any given play, which is then going to promote like a higher success rate at the end of the the possession simply because you got to more stuff. And the Lakers just didn't do enough of that last season. And it's and there were those critical points of failure that then it's just like, okay, now we're running back on D. And guess what? The thing that we didn't do on offense, like that's stuck in our head. And that's why guys were aimlessly running back towards their own man, not communicating in transition defense and giving up the types of shots that Darvin Ham was shaking his head at. Like, what am I watching on film right now? And that's probably the stuff he he wasn't saying to you, Mike. Yeah. Part of that is the so like with a starting unit in you know we don't get to, uh, need to get Pete going on DeAndre starting the season but with like the way that DeAndre <laughs> and, and Russ trying to get them to do certain things that they hadn't done throughout their careers that's one thing but then to to have a bench group of Ellington and Monk you know and when he came back Ariza and being like to those guys to sprint back in transition you know either by what type of players they are or by age is a different equation than asking, you know, Troy Brown Jr. And if Cole yes. Swider gets into the game where he's just desperate to show that he's wanting to sprint back in transition, right? Or um, certainly Troy Brown Jr. Or absolutely want Toscano Anderson, right? That's going to be a natural thing for those guys to want to do uh, within, within what that system is going to be. Our transition defense last year was criminal. It was insulting on like if you go back and watch some of the possessions, the degree of like not giving a crap just collectively was again just insulting. And like you said, Mike, like just having dudes where that's what they do, like that's how they play. They don't you don't worry about a guy like JTA not running back on defense. And these are simple things that we, especially sitting at, at home or watching the game, we think that, oh, well, this is something every NBA player does. No, the ability to do that 
to run back on defense, to have a commitment to the small things that are not necessarily fun, you don't get a lot of glory from, but are just like part of the basic structure of how you play basketball. The commitment to that is something that's kind of like an internal type of thing, right? And so actually, I have a question for you guys. The NBA changed the take foul rule, right? As long as we're yes, on the finally. subject yes, of transition defense. Yes, uh, Russell Westbrook led the league in take fouls. He had like 96 take fouls. The second closest was like in the 50s. So it was like, oh, and but this is part of the thing where you commit a turnover and you stand there and rather than having your instinct to backpedal, get back on defense, it's like, I'm just going to follow foul the guy that's in front of me. So anyway, thoughts, Darius, on the elimination of the uh, of the take foul is going to be one in the ball. Thank goodness. So. I actually thought that they could have used even more firm language in this because the idea of like you could potentially be going for the ball or making a play on the ball. Like I don't have the exact verbiage in front of me, but the idea that now you could just sell it better in terms of what your intent was and get away with it. I wanted less wiggle room for interpretation there because NBA players are smart. Right. <laughs> and they are going to under like it's like the same as like the gather rule to me. It's just like, oh, you're changing you're changing the interpretation of what is or isn't a travel. And it's based off of like when you gather your dribble. And so what I'm going to do then is I'm going to make it look like I'm taking freaking seven steps on some of these step backs. But it's totally legal because I haven't <laughs> gathered the ball. And now it's just yeah. like, like, oh, step sidestep sidestep again and now i'm getting off a jumper it's just like these moves if you were to show them to like a 1980s basketball player it's just to like, jess like, kersey or dick vivetta right yeah, <laughs> yes, there'd be some cuss words yeah it's like wait that's legal now yeah it's it's so mike i'm thrilled i'm thrilled that they addressed this but i actually wish that like the rule was even stronger the take fouls that Russ was taking last season, those were criminal in a lot of ways. One of the more frustrating aspects of Russ's game that I did not fully appreciate how much it was going to bother me because you're not watching him play every single night if he's not on your team. So when we were about 10 games into the season and he took one a game, Pete, you said that he took like 96, these, I think. right? Yeah. And so that's more than one a game. Sometimes he's taking two of these a game and you're like, wait, no, the Lakers are in the penalty already. Or, bro, you've already got two fouls and it's the first half. Like, what are you doing here? And, and so I'm so happy that the rule is more punitive. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded. I wouldn't have minded two free throws and the ball or something just so you don't get into, <laughs> you know, one of the, the super nerd teams going into the like, well, actually, if you look at points per possession and in stopping a fast break, you know, giving up one actually isn't that bad, you know, because as opposed to the layup that might come. So, you know, which I could see in, in some circumstances, depending on it. But I'm forget Russ for a second. I just this this is a spirit of the game thing for me. Right. This is a technicality where you're slowing down what's often the most exciting play uh, in a league that is essentially for the entertainment of the fans in a lot of ways. And and. It's just going to make the game better to have more running and less disruption of that running. And then, oh, cool, sideline out of bounds. And there are some players that take advantage of it in a cynical way. And there are some players that think they're taking advantage of it in a cynical way, but are really just being lazy. And so either way, 
but my hope is that teams now are just like, okay, well, this is this is punitive enough where we're just we're not doing it anymore. And I hope that referees actually call it. And I do think it's a little bit different. Uh, last point on this one for referees to call it than like the early points of emphasis last year, essentially getting rid of all the James Harden or the Lou Williams type stuff and that that extra like tricking a defender into uh, or tricking the ref into calling a foul, which they were great at early and then just abandoned and went back to usual. This one isn't one that I think you can abandon because it's just so easy and clear and obvious. Yeah. And you're not just going to bury the whistle on it. Yeah, I think uh, the point about how players try to navigate it, though, is going to be crucial because if they go more toward because as I understood the rule and I think you bring up a good point, D, just in the the language and verbiage of how it's written is I'm like, well, if, if you're going for that steal, like if you're really going for the ball, then you're probably in the clear and that may function as a take foul. You're probably going to get called for foul if you're in an open court setting and you're going after that. But a Jose Alvarado type, right? Some of the, the great and Alex Crusoe, those dudes are going to get a few more of those. And I, I agree with Mike's point, man, like basketball is one of the great flow sports and the more that you have that, the less that you have the, you know, foul, take it sideline out of the bounds. I think it's just better for, for everyone. I think it leads to better basketball. And I think the points per possession penalty of, cause if you're fouling someone in the backcourt, that's what 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 points per, right. In terms of they're probably 75, 80% free throw shooter. And then you default to a half court possession, which is usually around 0. 0.95 points per possession. Uh, and so if you're in the 1.7, 1.8 range, of the cumulative punishment of the free throw plus the half court possession that ensues. I think that's enough D to flip it to where plus like the team, yeah. plus the team foul. Yeah. Uh-huh, plus the team foul. Exactly. I think that the, the whole, all of that together will encourage more open court play. So I'm excited about that. Um, it was fun getting into the four out environment. We're going to do that a lot more, but really the main takeaway is give your dribble penetrators a lot of space to work with and make the defense make a choice. Um, and we're going to get in more, more and more of the details of what that means. Tomorrow, I think we're going to talk about the defensive end of the floor and what we saw there. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The well, Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. 
Trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.